Hello, hello everyone. Hi. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Tea and Gemstones, your shiny podcast home for all things history, science, and social commentary about gemstones, jewelry, and precious metals. We dive into topics such as a full scope analysis of everything opals, the psychology of gemstone shapes, and one of my favorite episodes this season is bling bugs, talking about insect representation in jewelry from ancient times all the way through to the present. To take you on these educational, yet entertaining, auditory explorations is me. Hello, I'm Jen, your personal jewelry historian and lifelong sparkle enthusiast who is obsessed with all the little details of everything. So happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Let's get started. What makes us connect love and romance to gemstones? And I don't want that, oh, it's just marketing, blame to beers, a diamond is forever, blah, blah, blah. First off, that's too easy and too simple a leap. And second, I think it's incorrect. Yes, commercial marketing was, is will always be a big driving force for the popularity of some gemstones and jewelry styles. Looking at you, white diamond solitaires. But, but, humans have always liked the sparkling, shiny stones they could pull from the earth or create in a lab from the beginning of time. There are mines for lapis lazuli gemstones scattered across northeast Afghanistan that date back to 7570 BC. That's about 9,500 years ago. Jewelry and gemstones decorate royalty, religions, and wealthy status, but a connection to pure romance. There's a gemstone that has been the representative of romance with no marketing campaign required. The unequivocal gemstone of love is the ruby. Now, rubies are considered one of the big three, the most precious trifecta of valuable gems, and those three are diamonds, emeralds, and rubies. Sapphires, a popular, versatile, every color of the rainbow-hued gemstone, is considered a step below the big precious three which seems unkind and unfair considering rubies are red sapphires. Okay, okay, no one calls rubies red sapphires. If you see red sapphire written out in any official jewelry or stone description for something for sale, don't buy that. Sapphires are the gemstone variety of the mineral corundum, And when different trace elements like iron, chromium, or magnesium get involved, the trace elements make different colors happen. Sapphires become red when chromium is in the corundum mixture, with the chromium replacing aluminum. This changes how light through the gemstone is absorbed and reflected, making the rich red of the ruby. So rubies, the best rubies are the deep bright red color, sort of gruesomely named pigeon's blood, 
for the dark red mixed with a hint of bluish purple. I personally have never seen the inside of a pigeon to know if they have very aesthetically nice colored blood, and I don't want to. Um, the term comes from Burma, the country that is now Myanmar. There are lots of great rubies from Myanmar, and there the locals call the best, deepest red rubies by the name Kotwi, which means pigeon's blood. And a slightly less morbid reference point is that the term can refer to the red spot at the central point of a pigeon's eyeball, not their internal blood. But love being connected to the heart, blood, the terminology, while a little gory, is here to stay. And red, however you want to describe the color, is the color of love. A February 2022 study done by Psychology Today reviewed people's color emotion associations across 30 countries. Y'all know I get excited about color psychology. The conclusion of this study stated the most consistent color emotion association people had people from 30 different countries, all different cultures and backgrounds, the most common hand-in-hand connection was red to the emotion of love. Now, (laughs) full disclosure, hate and red came in as the second place connection, but let's brush that off. If you ain't first, you're last. The winner is red to love. Think about Valentine's Day. Red is the overwhelmingly dominant color scheme. Red hearts, red roses, red boxes of chocolate. To show you love someone, the perfect choice is a red gift. And what red gift could be more luxurious than a ruby? And I now want to tell you the story of a very, very special gifted ruby reflecting a couple's true love. This is the story of the Carmen Lucia ruby. Carmen Lucia was a real woman. She was married to a man named Dr. Peter Buck. But the 23.10 carat ruby that bears her name, Carmen never actually saw it, at least not in person. Let me back up with the story. Let's go to the very origin. Where did this magnificent ruby emerge from the earth? The exact date is a little bit mysterious. Doesn't it always seem to be that way with the most epic gems? Their sagas tend to have foggy beginnings. But we at least know the decade, the 1930s. The ruby was mined up in the Mogok region of what was then called Burma. You might have heard the term Burmese ruby before. The area is famous for producing some of the most high quality and spectacular rubies in the world. Burma was the name of the ruby-producing country in Southeast Asia until 1989, when the ruling military government suddenly changed the country's name to Myanmar. The country was struggling with its international reputation due to the former British colony's government being a mix of Soviet-style nationalism, coup d'etats, and human right violations. Channeling the vibe of someone deciding to go by a new name when they go away to college or change jobs, the government declared, call us Myanmar now. But a new name did not a new identity successfully make. And many countries, including the United States and the United Kingdom, still use Burma as the country's name. 
In 2012, on a visit to Burma slash Myanmar, then-U.S. President Barack Obama made history with a short speech in which he used the names Burma and Myanmar interchangeably. Though current President Joe Biden and the Secretary of State Antony Blinken both pointedly refuse to use Myanmar and will only use the Burma designation. You might be thinking, what does political turmoil have to do with gemstones? Well, the famed rubies have been swept up as collateral damage in political ups and downs. According to a November 22, 2021 article by the New York Times titled, Burmese Rubies, Costly and Controversial. There's deep discussion of how the country's bloody political history makes its rubies controversial. The article says, quote, With consumers increasingly demanding transparency about the provenance and supply chains of the products they buy, geographic origin has become a central issue for some jewelers, end quote. Trading in Burmese rubies is not just maybe ethically problematic, but illegal sometimes. Between 2008 and 2016, the United States had a formal law on the books that straight up banned Burmese rubies from entering the United States. Jacqueline Karachi Lenguain, creative director for Cartier's Prestige Division, gave this firm declaration to the New York Times saying, quote, Cartier will not buy or sell rubies from Burma for ethical reasons, end quote. So do these troubles affect the Carmen Lucia ruby? The short answer is not really. Its mining origin date of the 1930s puts the stone safely well outside the bans and restrictions of the most recent decades. The first owners of the ruby aren't publicly known, but it was believed to have been sold to a group of European jewelers by a wealthy family. The jewelers then stored the ruby in a vault for about 55 years, leaving the gem unknown to more modern-time collectors and historians. But the, this hidden away and then re-emergence of a ruby isn't uncommon. In fact, with the bans and present-day controversies, it's actually the new norm. World-renowned field gemologist Vincent Panadou is on the record stating, quote, Today, the mines of Myanmar are no longer producing large or gem-quality stones, but demand is high and supply very limited. Today, 99% of Burmese rubies found on the market were extracted decades, even centuries ago. End quote. And that's how the Carmen Lucia ruby emerged back onto the modern timeline after so many years hidden away. Curator of the Smithsonian National Gem Collection in Washington, D.C., Jeffrey Edward Post, wrote in his book, Unearthed, about the moment he met the ruby. He says, quote, I discovered this incredible ruby when a New York jewelry dealer brought it to my office. He said he had a special stone, but I hear those words frequently, so I was unprepared when he opened the small black box. It revealed a gem glowing the fluorescent red that is characteristic of the finest Burmese rubies. 
and at 23.10 carats, this stone was huge. It was a fiery blaze in my hand, end quote. Apparently, this New York gem dealer had heard through the grapevine that the National Gem Collection wanted a great ruby for their collection. Rubies were insufficiently represented at the museum. Jeffrey Post didn't document what the ruby's exact price tag was, though he did write, quote, There was no doubt it was perfect for our collection, but not surprisingly, the price was equally impressive. The Smithsonian wasn't in a position to spend millions. Historically, gems have been added to the National Gem Collection via donation. And so the ruby departed Curator Post's office. But here's where the love story comes in. Dr. Peter Buck is a man you most likely have never heard of by name, but I pretty much guarantee you owe at least a couple quick lunch meals to his legacy. Born on December 19, 1930 in South Portland, Maine, Peter grew up the son of farmers, and his family probably expected him to be a farmer as well, No shame in it, noble profession, but his younger brother ended up taking over the family farm and Peter got busy going to school. He ended up getting both his master's and his doctoral degrees in physics from Columbia University. While Dr. Peter Buck was working in New York on power distribution of nuclear power plants, his family friend Fred DeLuca came to him and asked for help with paying for college. Dr. Buck loaned Fred $1,000 in 1965 and gave his buddy the suggestion of opening a sandwich shop to generate income. Fred thought that was a great idea, and he named his sandwich restaurant in honor of his benefactor, naming it Pete's Supreme Submarines. The shop grew and grew and went through some name changes before ending up in 2010 as the largest fast food chain in the world, Subway. As you might imagine, being an original investor in Subway is pretty financially lucrative. This put Dr. Buck in an economic position to buy his wife a present. Now, this present was not just for a birthday or anniversary. Dr. Buck's beloved wife is the subject of this episode. She is Carmen Lucia, originally from Brazil. The couple met in New York City and fell deeply in love. They had a son together named William, and they established the Peter and Carmen Lucia Buck Foundation for their philanthropic endeavors, like donating $30 million to the Danbury Hospital in Connecticut. Now, Miss Carmen Lucia liked to collect gemstones. Who doesn't? (laughs) I wish I could find any details of her collection because I'm sure it was epic, but details have never been made public. And in the early 2000s, Carmen Lucia got sick. She was diagnosed with colon cancer. And remember at the start of this episode, I said Carmen Lucia never saw the ruby in person. The story is she saw a photo of the ruby and said she wanted to get the ruby to wear to celebrate defeating her cancer. However, the victory was not to be. 
Carmen Lucia died from her cancer in 2003. Dr. Buck was devastated and wanted to honor his beloved wife. He went out and bought the 23.10 carat ruby his wife had wanted to wear and then reached out to the Smithsonian to see if the stone could be displayed in honor of her. Curator Post jumped at the chance, accepting the stone, of course. But first, the ruby traveled to Connecticut for a private viewing for the entire Buck family. Then the stone came to its permanent home in the museum. It sits in its beautiful display case, and it came with a dedication saying, quote, A gift of Dr. Peter Buck in memory of his loving wife. This gemstone is donated to the Smithsonian Institution for the enjoyment of all the people of America, end quote. Dr. Buck is also on the record having said informally that Carmen would really like that people could see it and know that it was the Carmen Lucia Ruby and it wasn't locked away in a vault somewhere. To ensure a beloved family member's name and legacy lives on is a wonderful gift. And get this, Dr. Buck sometimes would go to the Smithsonian and stand in the back of the Hall of the Gems and watch visitors view the ruby named for his wife, and he is documented to have said, this would make Carmen so happy. That's all for this episode of Tea and Gemstones. I have been incredibly fortunate and have been able to make a trip myself to the Hall of Gems and I have laid my eyes on the Carmen Lucia Ruby and it is truly a sight to behold. I also own um, Jeffrey Post's book that I mentioned, Unearthed. I will put a link to that in the episode notes. He has a great profile of the Carmen Lucia Ruby as well as a lot of the other epic one-of-a-kind gemstones that are in the Hall of Gems. It's just a wonderful book for any jewelry lover uh, in your life or yourself. Thank you so much to everyone who has been leaving ratings and reviews for the show, especially on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, That direct feedback when the show is actively receiving reviews and ratings helps the shows show up in search algorithms when people are browsing, looking for a new podcast to listen to. It helps them find us. Uh, You can also find Tea and Gemstones on Instagram and Facebook. You can leave a comment under the grid post for this episode and let me know what rubies mean to you. Do you own some? Do you believe in their connection to love? Have you been gifted or have you given a significant ruby in your life? I want to know about it. If a new episode every two weeks is not enough for you, you are wanting some more, you're gearing up for a big road trip, and you need a big library of podcasts to keep you company, might I suggest heading over to the Tea and Gemstones Patreon. There's a link on all of our social media pages, as well in the episode notes, where there is an entire exclusive library for about the price of a latte. You get access to stickers, t-shirts, tote bags, and all those exclusive episodes found nowhere else. Thank you guys so much for subscribing. Tea and Gemstones is written, recorded, and produced by me, Jen. Our theme song is by Joseph McDade, and additional music work is provided by Audionautics. 
Until next time, everyone, I hope you have had a very happy Valentine's Day, and I hope you stay sparkly.